Welcome to Character Explorations, a podcast production of the Wentz Center for Character Education at the University of Dubuque. I'm Annalee Ward, the director of the Wentz Center. And our guest today is Dr. Ken Turner, Associate Professor of Science Education. He is the author of the article, Science and Integrity, a Pandemic Lens. This article is available online at dbq.edu WENDT in the volume Character and Crisis, Volume 8. Welcome, Ken. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. As we record this, the COVID-19 pandemic is not yet over. In our experience thus far, we've seen that numerous issues, often politicized, have arisen about how to best manage, treat, or even live with this. I can only assume that responses to your article will reflect those divides. Could you describe a couple of scenarios that illustrate some of the contentiousness? Um, well, yeah, I mean, these are pretty obvious with almost anyone who has interaction uh, across many people. Um, some people are um, adamant that masks represent a violation of their civil rights. Others um, consider mask wearing to be a a matter of community good. Um, vaccines have gotten headlines for um, the amazing efficacy and how quickly they were rolled out, uh, how quickly they even <laughs> came to the forefront. And at the same time, um, the fact that we did not achieve um, 70% vaccinated status by July 4th in 2021, as, uh, as President Biden had hoped. Um, so there's, there's a lot of issues with COVID that tend to divide and not unite. And yet it is, you know, it's not a political virus. <laughs> and the virus doesn't care. The, the virus doesn't vote. Um, it just is. And I guess it's up to us to figure out ways to understand the virus and to make life uh, safe um, as we go through. All right. Thank you. Before we go any further, I'm sure people are wondering why you're writing about science and integrity. What is your background or what do you bring to this conversation? I'm a science educator. I've been um, in science education for, gosh, I bet over 40 years now. Um, I had a supervisory certificate that went down to the K level. I've taught from sixth grade up to 12th grade and now college. And I've been at University of Dubuque teaching mostly chemistry for the last eight years. Thank you. I think sometimes people uh, want to understand what you bring and, and just understanding that you've been living in this world of science for so long is important to our conversation. But because your work is part of an issue on crisis, could you say a bit more about what you mean by crisis? Well, um, according to Beth McCaw, a, a colleague here, and um, I think I've got a couple of other citations as well. Um, 
a crisis, one way of thinking about a crisis is when the stressors, um, the, the things that we have to do or think we have to meet exceed our resources. And um, at a personal level, when people were, um, oh gosh, imagine, imagine any number of families, so imagine your own family, when you had to be separated maybe from some family, some friends, some loved ones, um, your job, maybe it went online or maybe there were added precautions or maybe your job disappeared altogether. Um, a lot of children switched to being educated at rem you know remote, uh, so they were at home. Um, all sorts of stress was added to the typical person and very little additional resources were available to them. So when your stressors exceed your resources, that gap is where the crisis falls. So individually, we had crises. <laughs> um, when you multiply that across the entire country and even across the world, and um, hospital beds were filling up, um, any uh, elective surgery or elective procedures were being put off, um, parking lots were being turned into uh, triage units for people coming in with COVID symptoms. Um, certainly the hospitals were experiencing a, uh, a gap between their resources and their stressors. And then you think about the, the responses, uh, the responsibilities of the states and the, the country itself, the federal government and the state governments, as they tried to bring resources to families and companies and hospitals uh, across their, their, their unit, um, they too were feeling an, an inability to meet these new stressors with the resources at hand. And that's and this, a crisis. This excess stress that we've all experienced um, has also resulted for so many people in growing frustration and then anger and confusion in the responses to COVID. People were told, trust the science, but then seemingly the science changed. I think we all need a little help being reminded about how science works. Uh, thanks. Um, so I've, I've lived in the world of science education, as I mentioned before, for over 40 years. And um, science, science is never overnight. Science is never immediate. Science is not microwave. Science is a slower a methodical kind of piece by piece incremental look. Uh, I mean, I mean, not always. There's there's breakthroughs, but for the most part, um, science is is sequential and um, and time consuming, and um, it's a way of looking at the world. But then you, you look at the world, whether you're looking through the lens of a microscope or an electron microscope or a telescope or um, any number of really, really um, wonderful, amazing pieces of technology, you're still looking at the world and you collect the data and you analyze the data 
and you try to interpret the data and evaluate the data, and then you would present it. But the presentation, um, that takes some time also, because if you, if you try to publish, which is the way that scientists present their findings, the, those, that article that summarizes your results and all your data and all your thinking going into it and on the basis of everything else you've done leading up to it, that is presented for peer review at that journal. And so three or more um, scientists of, uh, who are working in the, a similar or related field will take a look at your findings and try to, try to verify them, try to see if it uh, meets the rigor of um, a good scientific study and um, see if it's worth printing or if it needs some minor changes or if it should be uh, discarded. And so that, that peer review process, the, the science that led to that article and then the peer review process, that can take months and months and months. So if, as the pandemic seemingly raced from January 2020 to impacting so much of the U.S. by March 2020, let alone the entire world. Um, science doesn't work on that scale of speed. And so the answers that we wanted, they, weren't gonna, they were not going to happen overnight. We were not going to be able to tap a scientist on the shoulder and say, what's with the new virus? Um, they just didn't have the studies. The studies either hadn't taken place or hadn't gone through peer review just yet. One of the things that you do in this article is take up a few questions that people have that, that were contentious, where it seemed like science changed its mind all the time, if we could, if we could put it that way. So I, what I'd like to do is walk through some of those questions. The, sure. the first one um, that emerged way back in January of 2020, we wondered, was it possible to have human-to-human -human transmission? And the science seemed to have one response, but then it changed. <laughs> Talk about that. So, um, yeah, and I think that's at the heart of, of a lot of people's mistrust is they... Um, they misinterpreted what a scientist said or uh, the media reported it poorly. Um, I think, for example, um, one of the first cases was, um, is person-to-person -person transmission possible? And very early in January 2020, um, I think one of the first WHO um, releases on it who, being the World Health Organization, um, said that it seemed possible, but that authorities in China had said um, they had not witnessed any of that so far. And that was very early in January 2020, and the China authorities were researching this pneumonia of unknown cause in Wuhan. And... Um, then not very much longer, like 
two weeks, 14 days, 15 days, another guideline came out, not a guideline, another statement from WHO said they had received eight cases. They had proof of eight cases in four different countries where person-to-person transmission had occurred. So it seems like, well, why is a scientist first saying that it seems possible but unlikely? But if you, if you read their actual statement, they refer to exactly um, what had occurred um, and what they knew at the time. Uh, very early in January 2020, we didn't know of any cases of person-to-person transmission. And the Chinese authorities had said they had observed none, and they, you know, they were the boots on the ground, so to speak. But by the end of January 2020, we had eight known cases, and those were, you know, verified, scientifically proven cases. So we had, at that point, we had to change we, <laughs> as if I was one of those scientists. It was, um, it was truth telling as far as those scientists were concerned to, um, to state categorically that they knew of eight cases and this was occurring. Another question you take up uh, was that in February of 2020, we wondered, could the disease be spread by asymptomatic people? And again, we thought the answer was no and then yes. So talk to us about that. <laughs> no and then yes. So um, I think uh, if I go back to the, to the WHO um, World Health Organization, some of their um, releases. In February, early February, it said, uh, it is possible that there may be individuals who are asymptomatic that shed the virus, but we need more detailed studies around this. Okay, and so the, they actually seem to be asking for those studies. Um, it came up again in June, 20, in June, early June, so, you know, there you're, what, four or five months later, and she said, um, Dr. Maria Van Kirchhoff, head of WHO's Emerging Disease and Zoonosis Unit. From the data we have, it still seems to be rare. And so I'm emphasizing the word seems, but that's, that is what she actually said. But um, that just means that uh, the fact that she even used the word seems means and didn't result, uh, didn't refer to a study, means that the study hadn't been published yet. But finally, by um, January 2021, um, an article in Journal of American Medical Association Network Open found that the proportion of transmissions from individuals who did not have symptoms was estimated at greater than half of all transmission. So it does feel like there's this back and forth, but they were... Those scientists, those representatives from WHO, which I keep quoting, they were presenting information that was up to date and those studies just hadn't been published yet. Um, I find it really frightening that more than half of the transmission is occurring with people either before they show symptoms or even people who never show symptoms. But that is, that is the definitive answer to that question as far as we know now. <laughs> right, right. That's the and that's that way yep. that science unfolds. Up to unfolds. January 2021. 
Well, another a question you take up is the mask wearing advice, which seems to change. What happened from January to December of 2020 to go from mask not required to mask should be worn? Yeah, um, the same kind of thing. Uh, the same kind of thing happened. Um, it's it's just a matter of which study uh, of even having studies. So in January 2020, again, a WHO statement said that an individual without respiratory symptoms, a medical mask is not required, as there was no evidence available on its usefulness to protect non-sick persons. Now, if you, if you kind of team that with our understanding of asymptomatic transmission, they didn't they didn't think asymptomatic transmission was occurring at that time. And so what good would a mask do? And, and could it do uh, any, any, could it have any effect? And there was no study um, released at that time. There's, um, and then by December, they, their guidelines became masks should be used as part of a comprehensive strategy of measures to suppress transmission and save lives make wearing a mask a normal part of being around other people. And that was uh, at the end of 2020. So what happened in between? Um, the first directive notes that there's no evidence available. No studies had been published. Um, by April, a kind of culminary work that hadn't gone through the rigor of, um, of uh, peer review said that public mask wearing is most effective at, study, at stopping the spread of the virus when compliance is high. The decreased transmissibility could substantially reduce the death toll and the economic impact while the cost of the intervention is low. Well, that sums it up pretty nice. That's from Howard, but it wasn't a peer review study. However, I, I did include it in my paper just because when you look at the, at the number of studies cited in that, it was just really impressive. So it's kind of like a hint of things to come. It is not verified through the peer review process, but the peer review studies were coming along. One was published in April 2020, found that cloth masks were especially effective for source control. And what that means is when you or I put on a mask, that's not to protect us. That's to protect everybody else around you from the droplets from the virus that might come from you. And so that, that's what they found. The cloth masks were especially good at that. You see, most, most masks that ordinary people wear, not, not the masks that hospital workers uh, are wearing, healthcare providers are wearing, most masks don't provide much protection for you against the virus. They protect for other people around you from you. They protect, they give a little bit, uh, they slow the range, they diminish the range of the droplets that might carry the virus. Um, by July 2020, a summary of publications concluded, so this is already by July 2020, there's a summary of all sorts of publications, peer-reviewed publications that, that was published. So in the summary, the findings of this systematic review and meta-analysis 
support the use of face masks in community settings. And then a later one published in August 2020 that even with a limited protective effect. So some masks are better than others. And um, this study concluded that even with a limited protective effect, face masks can reduce total infections and deaths. And that was by Warby and Chang. And then finally, um, again, another summary study published December 2020 said, therefore, wearing masks in public is essential as its effectiveness has already been established by the current studies. That was a summary study. Um, again, your mask protects me, my mask protects you. Um, and especially as, as we understood more about asymptomatic transmission, the fact that you could be shedding the virus without even having a fever or loss of smell or whatever other symptom might go along, the, the masks became more important uh, became seen as more important. And that's why by the end of 2020, after all of those, um, we have that WHO guideline that says masks should be used as part of a comprehensive strategy of measures to suppress transmission and save lives, make wearing a mask a normal part of being around other people. Oh, all right. You have, you've taken us through the seesaw that all of us have lived through, but maybe uh, our listeners may not have. And I'm wondering if you could pull this all together for us. Can we trust science? Oh, sure. Well, um, yeah, a trust is a good use, uh, a good term to use there. So um, I don't think I don't think you believe in science. Um, I think I use, okay, so <laughs> this might be just me. I use belief for things that I can't prove, whereas science is for things that can be proven. Uh, I believe in God. Uh, I believe that, uh, that Jesus Christ came to earth and died on a cross. Uh, I, I believe that. And, and maybe, uh, maybe you or somebody else believes in a different God or believes in several gods. And that's a belief in. But science, we can trust when it's practiced with integrity. And um, integrity means that it's going to be transparent about the data that is presented, about how the methodology that was used to collect the data, um, the peer review process, all of those can give a person trust in what is presented. And that can shed a light on this still unfolding pandemic. Um, you know, as you and I are chatting here, <laughs> Omicron is on the horizon. And in many states, the same, the same science that brought us very effective vaccines um, is going to illuminate a path forward through Omicron and whatever, whatever comes next. We, we can't see what's next. We don't know what's next. But I'm 
I'm hoping that we can learn from what we've been through to illuminate the pathway forward. Ken, thank you for the reminder and the challenge that science practiced with integrity is a process-based resource that moves us forward based on existing evidence. During a pandemic, that evidence may not be instantly available as it grows and changes. Our guest today has been Dr. Ken Turner, Associate Professor of Science Education, and I'm Annalee Ward for Character Explorations from the Wentz Center for Character Education at the University of Dubuque.